Hello and welcome to part two of this special double header. In this episode, we discuss our love of music, the bands and sounds that influence us, and also the songs that drive us mad. We welcome Leah from the podcast She Will Rock You. In this brilliant interview, we learn all about her passion for music and one of the most successful rock history podcasts out there. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe on Castbox, Good Pods, or Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you. If you didn't enjoy it, well, then why not turn it off and go back to listening to Christmas songs on your mini disc player? I'm Matt. And I'm Lou. I'm Johnny. I am Josh. And I'm Matt. And this is Straight Straight from the Hot Setter. So, what have we got on the menu about Taunton today, Matt? I thought we'd talk about music today. The reason I want to talk about music is because I did a really cool interview with a podcast in America a couple of weeks back called She Will Rock You. And it was a really cool interview. It was really fun. And I need something to make it relevant. Johnny, I'm going to ask you first, pre-discovering music, what were you listening to? And then what was the transition point to listening to the music you now know and love? I feel like the sort of Taunton connection here, basically, I don't feel like Taunton has any particular musical identity other than the obvious the wurzels and, and like, <laughs> my harvesters <laughs> it's completely amorphous so i like my musical memories of taunton were just whatever chris bacon and alex broom put on the common room tape deck fear factory and yeah snoop doggy dog and loads and loads and loads of led zeppelin but because it was all genreed music i feel like the whole kind of popular music at the time and indie music kind of totally bypassed me and i do sort of feel like just to take it back to the taunton thing and i feel sometimes we big up taunton too much so i'm just going to put a bit of a negative slide on this is that <laughs> is that one of the things that we really missed in growing up was there was just zero exposure to live music and the possibility of seeing decent bands perform live the easy distance of where you live you might have gone to bristol or you might have gone to exeter to see jamiroquai or you know i don't know <laughs> whoever else but it felt like a bit of a, a musical wilderness which if you think about it when you say oh you're from taunton often the thing that people first say to you is oh you must have gone to glastonbury you must have been to glastonbury every year and i have to just say no, I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So, how about you, Josh? Everyone's got that moment where they hear a song or a band or something and it just strikes a chord with them. Do you remember that moment or that song or what? I remember it slightly later. I remember before having that moment with current music at the time, I something, somehow, I think probably just listening to a song on the radio, I became a complete Beatles fan when I was probably like 12 or 13. I bought loads of Beatles albums and I really just loved it. I have to say, I just, I was really enjoying it. And that, but I didn't really spread out into other 60s kind of music apart from just what you'd hear on the radio. I do remember really clearly, like I was on a flight actually, and there was a kind of music channel type of thing on the TV. It was the music video and the song for Oasis, Live Forever. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I listened to it mid 1990s kind of thing on the airplane you could watch it and over and over again it wasn't just sort of past so and it was a long flight as, as i remember and i just i watched it so many times during the flight and as soon as i got back i remember i bought the single or whatever but it was that song i just really that was really amazing to me and actually before that i guess the other thing that had the same effect on me was probably was nirvana and even now when i hear smells like teen spirit i just it takes me straight back 
to when Nirvana were in, in sort of in their heyday, I guess. And 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 I was I love and then other stuff, the influences, same as Johnny, obviously being in the same house. Yeah, Led Zeppelin is a huge thing and it, it always makes me think of of Taunton and always makes me think of school. Still a stairway to heaven now is just like one of my I just love that song. Yeah. yeah. Josh, I can, I can actually credit you, I think, with starting my love for, of Oasis as well. So I remember being in Taunton in Our Price Records. Do you remember? Which was the, the music store in Taunton High Street. And they used to have, not very COVID safe, it has to be said back in the day. But they used to have the, the little headphones attached to CD players or tape decks probably or whatever it was back then so you could listen to, to singles and so on and you actually put live forever on when we oh, were in right. the store together and said, yeah, oh, cool. to this is i love this song and yeah i remember listening to it thinking yeah i like that but i didn't think much more than it than that but it started something definitely matt i remember you used to really love your electronic music yeah 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 well so it's a really interesting question because i more and more realize now because i had i now have absolutely no connection or understanding of quote-unquote modern music I realized what a rich and incredible decade of music and popular culture that we all grew up in, ironically, in a place that wasn't really that exposed to that popular culture. And music for me in my life is one of the things that is just the most important things to me because I use it when I write, I use it as the soundtrack of my life. Music amplifies emotions and music entered my life in a very, very distinct way. In the early 90s, while we were at Taunton School, I can tell you exactly what point it all really came together. We were driving to school from Hatch Beecham and it was early in the morning and it was the Chris Evans breakfast show, which we all listened to. And Chris Evans has spent the last week bigging up Friday morning, which was that morning, because he was going to play this new song that everyone was waiting for and that was about to hit the shops, right? He literally, every day he'd said, on Friday, I'm going to play it at 8, 10, when they had maximum listeners. And I remember we were driving toward the Thorn Falcon car garage when the song came onto the radio. Funnily, you should mention Oasis because it was the collaboration between, I think it was Liam Gallagher and the Chemical Brothers. And the song was called Setting Sun. It wasn't one of the best songs that the Chemical Brothers ever did, but it was one of the most innovative. Liam Gallagher, I think, sings the the vocal. It was so absolutely extraordinary because the effect on my emotions was so absolutely visceral. And I was never the same again after, after experiencing all of that stuff in the 90s. The Chemical Brothers in particular, because of getting their album, it was the Chemical Brothers album Exit Planet Dust was the first album I ever got and ever listened to a hundred times. It just touched my emotions in the same way that, say, Tarantino films did. I've honestly never felt that engaged in my life. I spent my whole life trying to get back to how engaged it made me feel. It was like mainlining heroin or something. I know exactly what you mean, though, that engagement, that sort of listening to a song over and over again. Definitely something that I don't do that much these days, but, you know, every now and again, I hit replay. But yeah, how about you, Lou? Obviously, you know, you're from a different part of the country, grew up in the same decade and so on. What was that moment where you thought, correct, music's important to me? I've had a really massively different music history to you guys I think so from when I was really little we had family orchestra it's a little bit embarrassing to me now but you know we all it's like the Von Trapp it's a little bit yeah <laughs> so bad and my mum thought it was sounded really good thinking looking back now it probably didn't sound good at all they should get the band back together, Lee. Do a live performance on the podcast. No way. <laughs> it's really not. But then in my in my um, secondary school years, I was kind of influenced by my friends and I kind of went through a, 
initially the brass times and we had Grolsch tops on our Doc Martins and that then progressed into a bit of reggae, sort mm. of UB40, Bob Marley, interspersed with, a, of course, a bit of AHA, Morton Harkett, <laughs> who we all fancied at the time. But then as I went into sixth form and then further on, it sort of progressed again into Chemical Brothers and Prodigy. I was really influenced by people who were around me and their musical preferences and, you know, mm. I just took it all in. It's amazing how, how emotive it is, isn't it, and how you're a certain age and you, your tastes aren't particularly honed and refined. You have quite an eclectic taste, don't you? I remember watching Glenn Medeiros, you know, on top of the pops and really liking this song and the bangles and all that stuff back in the day. And then just one day, you know, I remember sitting in you know, the common room at, at school and it was the Smashing Pumpkins that was the band that really switched me on to music. Yeah, I remember you listening to them a lot. This, yeah. So a guy called Nick Ravenscroft was a friend of ours. And I wouldn't say got on really well with Nick. We were very different people, but he was massively into his music. And, you know, he used to bring all these different bands into our common room. And a lot of it I used to just dismiss as noise because it wasn't my thing and I didn't really get on with Nick. And then one day I just remember listening to a song called Rhinoceros, which is on the album Gish by the Smashing Pumpkins. And it just struck a chord. It just suddenly found its way into my head. And I remember just listening to it over and over again and then going out and buying the album and listening to the album over and over again and i used to literally turn the lights off in my room and just play it and listen to every song and they were so different and you know it's such a, it's a really grungy sound but also really kind of almost like a melancholic sound to the smashing pumpkins at that point yeah and that kind of really woke, woke things up for me and then after that it was radiohead and the bends was the one that such a great album isn't got, it? got into my soul very much so and i love the the darkness to it really and the poetry and the the way that it just made me feel i suppose after that no question music became a massive part of my life my musical taste has generally stayed quite consistent to that decade although i have embraced th- thanks johnny thanks josh gangster rap and you know a bit of, <laughs> a, a, a bit of, particularly you know one of the things i owe france for and i lived in france i particularly like french rap oh god rap. no i do have a real soft spot for that uh, niche. Um, i'm gonna say yeah, it's niche. Some, i remember listening to skid row a great deal for a while as well and that's a band i've gone back to recently someone them died recently i just maybe listen to it again it's pretty good but one thing i was thinking about the other day was one of the genres of music that was so so big at the tail end of school for us a few years afterwards was was trip hop and massive attack and tricky oh. tricky and that bristol Port's sound head. port's head and it's just like these are amazing amazing and, and it was just it was everywhere it was on adverts it was in the backdrop of like the coolest tv shows and yet it just disappeared you know lou you were saying about prodigy and, and, and chemical brothers and like yeah. okay the chemicals i guess they're still going but like no, they, yeah, they, they kind of really stood stood the test of time whereas trip hop it's just vanished and yet was it not good music or was it just of its time or i don't know i tell you what though if you put porter's head on dummy that album dummy on now and just sit down with a glass of wine no distractions. It is an unbelievable album that totally captures that decade. What's wrong with just smoking it's up a pipe of crack and listening to it? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Why does it have to be the wine? Always wine. Always wine. Always fucking Always wine, wine, isn't it? Or like a craft beer. <laughs> What's wrong with fashion crack? <laughs> What's wrong with just some freebasing and then listening to dummy? Just to go off your point, Johnny, I completely agree when i listen to music now from the 90s the music that we all used to love and listen to it makes me feel incredibly sad it's on my spotify playlist and i will skip if songs are from that period 
because oh. it just makes me feel incredibly nostalgic and sad. And the second thing that I've learned in life, ready for it? Nostalgia is bad. I know what you mean. That sometimes the forces are too powerful for any given moment. I can't take a, a sort of revisionist a few hours of my life here. I, I know what you mean like that. Yeah, but it's because it's one of those things where like nostalgia is such a powerful force. And I find myself incapable of not succumbing to it constantly. But it's also incredibly unhealthy to go through your life looking backwards. And it's something that all of us do, and I do in particular. And it's just so unhelpful. And another really good piece of advice that I got is just very simple. Always be moving forward. Yeah, I do agree with you. I'm the same as that. I'm the same as you in terms of nostalgia. and I can't help. I think with nostalgia, I think it's good to pause and embrace the moment a little bit. I went through a phase of always turning off music that reminded me of my mum, for example. Yeah, that's understandable. A few songs that she loved or we listened to as a family that... I really struggled to play because, put simply, it would it would upset me a great deal. And you know, we're talking years probably of me doing this. But more recently, when that happens, I like to just stop, stop what I'm doing, and immerse myself in that moment. And I find that once the initial shock and the feeling of sadness goes, then you do get a slight warmth of remembrance and yeah just sort of transporting yourself back a little bit which can feel quite good actually i know what you mean I th- you wouldn't want to dwell and do that all the time i can see why people might do that and why it might be negative when you do it excessively but i think there are times where you want to take that time to stop and pause you know that there's a, a word in brazilian portuguese called charge have you ever heard that charge means the act of wallowing in the past which is very pleasant and pleasurable and doing it while knowing secretly that it's bad for you. Yeah, I like that. No, I can see that. <sighs> but, it, but but equally, no, I like that. That, yeah, That's I like nice. that too. That's really nice. But equally, some songs can transport you maybe back to the past or some or to, to some mood or whatever that's completely fun and really positive from a, a trip you've done or a um, concert you went to or something. It's a version of nostalgia, but but not like a sort of... But the, um, the, the know, thing is that... I, yeah, sad one. Look, I'm saying it's really important to look back at the past and really enjoy your memories and like, all the stuff that we're doing on this podcast. That's great. But what I just know is a personal danger is looking to the past for answers all the time uh, because it, it just doesn't help you. And you notice with societies, the most successful societies never look towards their past. Only the societies in decline ever think about them. A great example of that is if you want to look at British history, the Victorians. The Victorians, they thought they were living in the present moment and they only looked to the future. Granted, they were very interested in what the the ancient world could teach them, but they only occupy themselves with the future and opportunity. You can apply that model to many societies, you know? This is Straight From The Hot Tap, special guest interviews. Leah, great to have you on the show. Really excited to talk to you. I've been a big fan of your show and I've really warmed to the way you do things and your style and the fact that you interview some great people and also you've covered a few of the bands I, I really love. So why don't you tell me a bit about yourself, you and your journey into, into podcasting? Bethann and I worked together at a marketing agency. Started working together three years ago. Neither of us works there anymore. Spoiler for this story. Were you sacked for podcasting at work? No, we both left. While we were at this job, we kept getting in trouble for talking to the point where they physically separated us and put us in separate rooms, <laughs> which is 
Sounds like you want to talk more. Well, it made us use Slack a lot more. It really didn't solve the problem. And we felt like kindergartners having your desk separated when you're talking to your friends too much. And so we were like, you know, maybe we should do something with this energy and start a podcast because that's what all millennial friend groups do, right? At first, we were like, let's do a Disney podcast because we both really like Disney. But there's 700 Disney podcasts. How do you make a Disney podcast unique? That must be nearly impossible, is it? There's so many. And like, we live 12 hours away from the nearest theme park. So I'm not sure where we would have gone with that. Uh, So that got scrapped. And then I was like, well, I really love obscure news stories that have no like real impact on the world, but they're just entertaining. But then we realized that would be a lot of work because we'd have to do it weekly and do a lot of research to find these stories. And what if it's a slow news week? And so we kind of knew we wanted to do something bi-weekly. And then a Fleetwood Mac tribute band was coming to town and we were hanging out with our friend Lauren. And I said, oh, Bethann, we should go see Rumors. They're a Fleetwood Mac tribute band. They're like one of the highest rated in the country. Yeah. And Lauren goes, who's Fleetwood Mac? And we just stared at her and we were like, what what do you mean who's Fleetwood Mac? How do you not know who Fleetwood Mac is? And then a couple days later, we were like, you know, we both really like rock music. We like music that happened before we were born why don't we make a rock history podcast? And we started looking and nothing in the exact like vein that we wanted to do existed. There are other rock history podcasts, but they're all hosted by 50-year-old men or they focus on one specific facet or they're just boring. Like A lot of music (laughs) podcasts are really boring and we just ran with it. Luckily, our friend Lauren, who gave us the idea is a photographer so she like took our original cover photo and our current cover photo and we just went straight into it and it has been a whirlwind it's we just hit two years this month in june was two years how do you maintain the enthusiasm though one thing i found really difficult is the editing cycle because i'm increasingly perfectionist with it joking with the guys the other day that i had to delete nearly 20 (laughs) minutes of ums and ahs and you knows and whatever's do you know what i mean 20 minutes just of those i took out of our recording and it was hard work it sounds great and i'm really proud of it but doing that every couple of weeks is full-on you know when you've got a full-time job and so on how do you kind of keep up the enthusiasm we just really really love doing it we we only record the main episodes once a month so we'll record mine and hers like back to back right um so that makes it a little bit easier on scheduling so we have to set aside one full night a month to do the main episodes any bonus content obviously has to be squished in but it never feels like work i do joke that it's my homework sometimes like on the weekends (laughs) when i'm watching documentaries to study up on or reading a biography but it never feels like work like i never dread it do you feel like you've got to know bethan better through this process as well I think so. We're to the point now where like, if we get an artist that reaches out and says, hey, do you want to be on our show? I can tell within like 10 seconds of listening to them who's going to interview them because it fits in their stylistic preferences. Right, right. And we work out nicely to where we have completely opposite tastes in music. So <laughs> we're never like fighting over the same artist. We were pretty good friends before this, but it gives us an excuse to hang out once a month talk all the time we are one of the rare podcasts that get to record in person so that's i think beneficial to keeping 
up the momentum because it's not like, oh, I have to log on to another Zoom meeting. It's like, I'm going to go hang out at my friend's house and drink vodka and talk about why the Gallagher brothers are freaking insane. <laughs> There's not enough vodka invented in the world to kind of get to the bottom of that mystery, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you've come up with a solution, feel free to let me know and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get the message to, to Liam and Noel. It's about time they, they kissed and made up. Thinking of your journey in music then, what's your first memory of hearing and being really moved by music? I have a very distinct memory of probably I was in third grade, so that makes me about like 10. And all of my like extended family was in town. I think it was my great grandmother's funeral. I live in the country (laughs) and they were all sitting out on my grandparents' porch and like everyone had brought their mandolin and their guitar and their banjo. And I remember staying up like way past my bedtime watching all of them just jam on the porch. And it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And that was when I like wanted to learn to play guitar. I didn't ever start learning until the pandemic started but it was just so cool to watch them be sitting on a porch in the middle of nowhere i don't know if it was actually that good but (laughs) nine-year-old me thought it was good which was the the part of it that that really got into your head into your soul so to speak was it the physical aspect of it the sound of it the family aspect to it what was it i think all of it, but also just how spontaneous it was. Like, no, I don't think right. anyone said, hey, after this funeral, we're going to sit on the porch and have a jam session. It, someone just pulled out a banjo and then someone else pulled out a guitar and it just happened. And I don't think you could have planned for that kind of magic. And it was summer and like the lightning bugs were blinking outside. And it's, yeah. I, at least I think that that's how it happened. Amazing. In my brain, that's how it happened. <laughs> It's a good story. We'll, we'll stick yeah. with that. Yeah. From over our side of the ponds, when we look at the US, it seems a very divided place, both you know racially and politically and so on. That melting pot, that real melange of, of cultures and ideas and thought and so on, and obviously generational as well, it's a big thing, isn't it? At the moment, you mentioned earlier about you know, that millennial generation being mm-hmm. brought up with connectivity and the world being more global, but also online so heavily. How do you think that's actually affected music from the way you see it? At least from my personal experience, I think it's broadened a lot of people's horizons. I grew up in a very weird era for music because. Like when I was nine, 10, 11, entering my preteens, it was pretty much I had the radio and I had the music channels on TV, which at the time I was really into country music. So it was like country music television. Yeah. But then as I entered like middle school and everyone had internet access, it was like, well, my friend's listening to My Chemical Romance. So I'm definitely going to go illegally download that on LimeWire because I'm. <laughs> 14 and broke but my dad taught me how to use limewire and Friends, if you're listening you know this, this was a long time ago you know <laughs> she's made peace with that now she's paid I, I did it don't, all on yeah. my dad's computer so blame him right yeah all right his oh, dad's a criminal yes <laughs> listening. um i didn't have internet access at my house i just had it at my dad's house so then when i hit college and i discovered the world of tumblr which Bless Tumblr. I love Tumblr. I think it really opened up my horizons because it was just like right there. Someone reposts or reblogs a song and they're like, you got to check this out. And then you check it out and you're like, I would have never found that band on my own. And now we exist in a time where the Spotify algorithm does all the work for you. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that's affected the art of the album though? Because that's one thing that I 
I definitely think, because I was brought up with CDs, could tell that that thought and planning had gone into the order of songs and the the timings of the album and so on. And now, I mean, I probably know two or three songs from double, triple even the number of artists, but do I ever sit down and listen to their back collection? I don't know. I'm Probably more than some people do, but... I think that's a shame. What are your thoughts on that? There's a, a notification on my Facebook or on my phone from Facebook right now, but a meme I commented on earlier. It's something like, you know, the proper way of listening to an album is you got to listen to it front to back because it's the way the artist intended. And I commented and I said, wait, people don't do that. Can we arrest them? <laughs> I'm such an album listener. I always have. And that's probably because you used to have to like physically go to Target and get the album that I wanted and listen to it. And I still listen to them, but. I know so many people who, well, just in casual conversation, I'll, I'll be talking about like an obscure song on a Taylor Swift album, and they'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, <laughs> did you listen to the whole album? No. Why are we having this conversation? And it's weird to me, because it, there is such an art to the order of songs. And I talk about that with the artists that we have on. I'm like, why did you do it? the way you did and there's always a story behind it yeah if you're just listening to the singles and just listening to the top song that spotify is serving up there's usually a story there and you're losing it if you're listening i also i cannot stand listening to an album on shuffle if you listen to albums on shuffles you're a monster (laughs) it just doesn't sound right it's always blasphemy isn't it it's their life's work almost isn't it that they're, they're pouring into into a song order and you're just, I don't respect you. I don't, I don't have <laughs> any regard for your thought process. I'm just going to freestyle it my way. It's just, yeah, monsters. Exactly. <laughs> so if you were to sit, obviously I'm over here in the, in the UK. I was brought up with 90s Britpop. If you were to sit me down and force me to listen to an album on the basis that it'll change my life, what would it be? The Struts Young and Dangerous. Easy choice. Right, wh- what am I going to gain from that experience? You're going to see from that rock and roll is not dead. I wish the album captured the live performance. It does in a way. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper, you'll see that live performance is not dead. I feel like a lot of bands nowadays are lazy in their live performance. Like they walk out there in jeans and t-shirt and they just kind of stand there and do their thing and then that's it. I'm very into a extravagant performance. But just every song is different. The musicality is incredible. The album... You can't help but smile for half the songs. There is, there's like two really depressing songs on there, but you'll feel feelings. Um, and it's my favorite album. So that's going to be my job for tomorrow. Then is listen to that album. Oh, if you could see yeah. behind me, I have six Struts posters in this room. <laughs> Love it! Excellent. Oh, and they're yeah. British, so they have that Even going better. for them. Excellent. Yeah, I've always going to sentence you to one album. I don't know. There's a band that I really love called Shed Seven. Have you come across them before? No. You've probably heard the song Chasing Rainbows. That's pretty famous. I think so. Yeah. They're one of those bands that were very much blown out of the water by the really big bands of uh, the same era. So mm. obviously Oasis being, being the biggest and you know Blur and Pulp and some of the, the US bands as well. So Smashing Pumpkins were, were big around that time. And Shed Seven just kind of got pushed to the side a little bit and were seen by a lot of people to be quite middle of the road but 
they're so durable. I went to a gig a couple of years ago with some friends and I remember liking a couple of their songs, but I didn't know them that well. So yeah, I, I, I took these guys to this gig and we just had the most amazing night. It was so nostalgic. It was so full of energy. The band sang each song as if it was the last time they ever performed. I'd just forgotten how good the songs were mm-hmm. and how well they stand up to repeat listening and how they haven't aged the way some bands from that era have. Yeah. I think that and the other one's probably Radiohead. I think the Benz, actually. Have you heard? That's a, an acquired taste, but it, it really <laughs> grows on you. It's it, quintessentially British, experimental, but also respectful of the kind of guitar genre. And it's a wonderful piece of work. I'm not huge into like the Radiohead scene, but I'll I'll check it out. The Benz, definitely. I think the newer stuff, I find it hard to listen to. OK Computer's pretty good. But yeah, that's that, that's definitely worth listening to. So good. We've educated each other already. This is turning into a good interview already. Looking at your personal musical taste then, what's your biggest inspiration when you think of all the, the artists out there? What's the one that you always go back to? I love Queen. It's a running joke now between me and Beth Ann that if I like them, they're British. <laughs> Every time I find a new band, I'll immediately click on and it'll say, from the UK. And I'm just like, damn it, can I like one American (laughs) band? Just one. Because the problem with liking smaller British bands is they don't come over here to tour (laughs) quite yet. No, they don't. No, they're not as much. No, It was certainly a thing a little while ago where it was all about, you're going to go and break America. And they go over there and it's it's such a massive place. And they go to somewhere that's used to American-style rock or country western or something like that, and they like, just didn't get British music at all. British sounds quite different in lots of ways, isn't it? But you know, I think there's loads of great American bands out there as well. I mean, completely by accident, being white middle class from the West Country in England, which is like being from Tennessee or somewhere. Um, <laughs> I've always loved gangster rap. I, I love West Coast hip-hop. I've absolutely no reason to like it. It's completely miles away from my lived experience. <laughs> It's almost cultural appropriation, but just something cool about driving an executive saloon car through an average British town playing Dr. Dre. Sometimes you just need that. You do. Absolutely. It's kind of both sad, but also kind of cool. I'm going to go with cool. I was very tempted to write an anonymous letter of complaint after your last podcast where you said some bad things about, who was it now? Not Pink Floyd, wasn't it? So yeah. Pink Floyd was, was, over, was overrated, which is, you might as well say the Queen is a sex offender or something. It's a similar sort of line of abuse and dissing British culture. But actually, I do secretly agree with you, actually. But what do you reckon is the most overrated band that's made it big? I mean, Pink Floyd's up there because for a while, when we first started the show two years ago, they were the number one on every single best rock albums, best rock albums of the 50 years, best albums ever. And I'm like, is it really that good though? Like there's so many more <laughs> musicians that I feel like deserved that spot more. Even even if a Beatles album had made it, I wouldn't have complained. We'll cover Pink Floyd at one point, but I don't think either of us are excited about it. No. I know what you mean. Look, they have their place and they did a lot of good stuff with technology and um obviously they kind of they're quite big aren't they they're quite big in terms of the the performance and the the sound and so on but no i I know what you mean for me you mentioned a name there actually which i think and this is going to probably get me thrown in prison in the uk but i think the beatles are overrated my husband actually hates the beatles like to the point where if they play in something he'll just turn it off it's a bit extreme but i kind of feel like there's only a handful of Beatles songs that 
are genuine masterpieces and there's an awful lot that are just a decent melody and some okay songwriting yeah they have a lot of throwaway you know? songs that right. you're like i've never heard that before i'm okay never hearing it again it's fine yeah exactly i am the walrus i mean are you actually just taking a piss out of me is you know <laughs> you're just putting that out there because you know i'll buy it because i'm mm-hmm. an idiot and a beatles fan that's essentially what they're saying to you isn't it yep i could write anything i could sing a song about the underside of my shoe and you'll buy it like contemptuous of the of the audience which mm-hmm. is never a good look for a band i think i actually live very close to liverpool which is obviously where the beatles are brought up you can actually go to all these little tours of where the beatles apparently lived and grew up and stuff that's cool. Yeah, but how do they know? I mean, you know, you could just make anything up, couldn't you? You, like, this you is could the... definitely just make that up. That'd be quite fun, actually, wouldn't it? Just come up with a, a, a tour for some band and just take them anywhere, couldn't you? This is where the Beatles <laughs> first first had a Big Mac. This is where the you know, this is where the band once I don't know went and bought a coffee. It's like anything. Yeah, you can't really prove it. I watched the no. uh, James Corden carpool karaoke with Paul McCartney. And they just walked in some random shops and Paul's like, I got a haircut here once. And I'm like, did you though? Can you prove <laughs> that you did? <laughs> I don't think he's had a haircut for years, Paul McCartney, has he? doesn't like it. Dissing British royalty is not a good look around here. <laughs> so here's a question, right? So if you were to design the perfect band, so if you think about drummers, the lead singers, the guitarists, bassists, oh and the rest of it, and you were to put a compilation of all of the top ones in one band, who would be in it? You know, we did this one time on the podcast, and I remember hating what I said, but I don't remember what I said, so I hope I don't say it again. Go on. Let's well, lead see. singer. Lead singer. I got to go with Freddie. Do you know what? Yeah. Or Mick Jagger. Just, just I love a frontman who can command a crowd. They've got to have that voice as well, haven't they, that can just do extraordinary things. Yeah. And both Jagger and Freddie can do that. So we'll go, we'll go with Freddie for the sake of picking one. Yeah. Lead guitar, I mean, I pick Brian May because I just love Brian May, but I feel like picking two from the same band is cheating. Um, <laughs> the ultimate band yeah. is Queen. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's what you always end up doing, isn't it? Is you can't have Brian May and then you can't pick no. a bassist that isn't John Deacon, really, can you? No. I'd just be mean. Poor old John. I mean, he just sat there. He's not, not allowed in the band. No. What's he going to do? Just you can't forget take John. photos, maybe. No. I think history's forgotten John a little bit, hasn't it, really? Well, he shut himself away, so... Yeah. <laughs> Lead guitarist, I would go with. I'm blanking right now on every guitarist I've ever known. So we're going to go with Keith, because he's still yeah. kicking. Just for the fact and, that he's still kicking. And he's a miracle of science as well, isn't he? I reckon he's, he's in suspended animation between public appearances. Probably. He's got no right to still be alive, and yet he somehow is. The entire you need him band, as a science experiment. I don't know how they're alive. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. But particularly Keith, I agree with that. Yeah, Keith was on my list. I think I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Slash. I think you know, I do back love in the Slash. yeah, back in the sort of early nineties, you know, got watching Guns N' Roses. He had a presence. He's got incredible craft. He's got um, incredible hair. Yeah, good hair, good hat. <laughs> yeah, he can kind of do it all. Really, can't he? Is he a bit too stereotypical though? There must be others that we don't think about. I mean, I, I think Noel, Noel Gallagher is yeah. a, a lead guitarist. I don't know. Is, is he good enough? I don't know. I'm no expert, but I'd say he's up there, isn't he? That would be an interesting combo, Freddie and Noel. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether that would work. But I, think, I suppose Noel would respect Freddie's craft. I would he? hope so. You'd hope so. And Freddie, 
He doesn't have I a great know. track record of respect, though. So <laughs> no, this is true. Yeah, and I don't know whether Knowles particularly, certainly back in the day, was maybe a little bit bit homophobic, possibly. Probably. Um, yeah, so it's quite likely. No, no, those two, but. We're pretty good shape here, though, aren't we? Though with that with that lineup so far, drama drama's always difficult, isn't it? Because yeah, there's so many of them. Some of the the best drummers are also the biggest lunatics, aren't they? Like Ginger Baker and people like that. They're they're completely bonkers, which is kind of good. But you need some harmony for the big tours. I gotta go with Rick Allen from Def Leppard. Yes. Definitely, he's the one with one arm, isn't he? Yes, that's what's so anyone that crazy about yeah. him. It is amazing, and like you, you've always got that to talk about. So if you have a bad gig, you say, "Well, you've got, the drummer got one. I'll give him a break." <laughs> the know. best drum solo I think I've ever seen is when I saw Def Leppard live. Yeah, because his footwork is just—I mean, he's got to do double the footwork amazing? to make up for only having one arm. It's amazing, isn't it? But I don't know how he keeps going, like you know, because there must be times. Well, has he dropped his drumstick? I mean, I guess that's what got- the uh, tech guys are for. <laughs> There's <laughs> one guy just stationed to watch him. Yeah, you need. Yeah, you just kind of need like like a kind of row of drumsticks just within arm's reach, just in case that happens. Definitely, like one of those pick holders on the mic, just with drumsticks. Yeah, it's a great shout. Definitely, I like Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins. I think he's a good drummer. A bit out there, bit sort of drug addled, but good drummer. I like him, but I think yeah, I think Def Leppard, good shout. Bassist, then who are we going to go with? Nikki Six, just because I love yes. Nikki Six. <laughs> Good shout. I'll tell you another one, another Nicky, Nicky Wire from the Manage Street Preachers. Have you come across that at this point? Have they travelled across the, the pond? No, I actually never heard of them. Never heard of the Manage Street Preachers? No. Oh, there's another band for you to, to dig yeah, up. They're really popular in the UK there. Yeah, they're Welsh. And Welsh bands generally have a bit of an attitude problem. <laughs> so Welsh people, there's, there's two things they've, that, that have happened to them over the years. First of all, they're like really short. They're generally small in stature. <laughs> They've always got that slightly pugilistic attitude. So it's because they're working down the mines. This is true. I'm not making this up, by the way. Um, well, maybe a little bit. But also, they're quite a small little province. And they think of themselves as having like a claim to have a country of their own. But nobody really respects that. So the Scottish were like, yeah, you know, you guys are a real country. We respect you. The Irish, obviously, they're on island. They can do what they want. But the Welsh were like, yeah, you're not really a country, though, are you? You're just like, you're just where our rich people have their holiday homes and you're good at singing. Um, <laughs> so as a result, they've got a bit of a chip on their shoulder. And But they also churn out some great music. So Tom Jones, obviously Welsh. Duffy, you may not, you may not have heard of Duffy. No. Um, Shirley Bassey sang the theme to Goldeneye. I've heard the of her. great band Starish Stereophonics. You might not have heard of those. They're a fantastic Welsh bands. An amazing group called Super Furry Animals. The Man Street Preachers were very much the forerunners of a lot of this stuff. And they were kind of a fusion of rock and punk. They're kind of post-punk into kind of indie rock and, and rock. And yeah, they're a brilliant band. They're still going strong today, actually. Um, still turning out new stuff. But Nicky Wire's the the bassist for them. And yeah, really charismatic guy. Was sort of infamous wearing drag back in the day he's a good basis he's, they're worth looking up so there you go you've learned some stuff from about british music today yeah if you were to get this band then to, to produce a single of a cover what would it be what would you put out there so you've got freddie's voice so that you've got yeah. that, haven't you you've got keith on lead he's probably going to be off his face most of the time you've got one-armed drummer a welsh bassist it's probably trying to start fights so everybody all the time i feel like the logical choice would be bohemian rhapsody just to see how that would turn out Yes. 
that like is a, a great heavier shout. version of Bohemian Rhapsody. That would be pretty cool, actually, wouldn't it? To have it, yeah, just give it. Maybe you need to put an extra drum set in there. Put another drummer in there, like you know, like Slipknot, the two drum kits. Yeah. Give it an extra heavy metallic kind of industrial sound. That'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? That, yeah, that would be definitely interesting. It's quite technically challenging, though, isn't it? it wouldn't necessarily work live, but certainly as a no, we had to record that. Really. Do you reckon it would work with a, like a, a Generation Z audience? Though people sat sat around on TikTok all day, would they? I don't understand know. Bohemian Rhapsody. Do you reckon? I don't know. There's like a small subset, of probably our audience, that would appreciate it, but I don't know if the population at large would get it. No. So if you go back in time then and go to one gig from history, what would it be? Live Aid. Yeah. Queen set at Live Aid. Do you reckon that? Like, you must have watched it. Like Everyone's watched it. You know, yes. I've, I've seen it several times. Do you not think that because you know it that well, it would be possibly a little bit underwhelming? I imagine the sound probably isn't brilliant when you're 10 rows back. And, I feel and like you'd that. have to be somewhere in the front half. Yeah. I don't know how in the world people in the back part were even hearing it because I know the sound system was probably not that great, but I don't think so. I I mean, I've seen the struts five times and they're still exciting every single time. Yeah. So I don't think it'd be underwhelming. I think no. I might not be able to handle actually seeing it in real life though, because I was born the year after Freddie died to me. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a real person. <laughs> no. Cause I've never no. seen footage in real time of queen other than like the surviving members so it would just be a very out of body experience yeah yeah i remember the day that freddie died and i was a queen fan yeah um at, at that time and it was i wasn't a, a huge queen fan but I, I that developed after his death actually but i remember seeing him perform at the barcelona olympics with montserrat caballi and you know he was pretty ill then and it was pretty sad to see but even then he could still carry a tune you know mm-hmm. he was a amazing artist definitely listening to your episode about amy winehouse of the day sometimes it's, you shouldn't say it's that elaborately but sometimes when a band either metaphorically or actually dies their music is kind of captured in that time capsule isn't it mm-hmm. it's preserved and it's your memories of that preserved as it was hopefully at its peak you know so they don't have that gradual decline into you know yeah, into it, sort of being, you know, it's being always a bit interesting average. to think about what it would have happened if he hadn't died like how yeah. many albums would they have out now because they already had a lot yeah they were very productive <laughs> definitely would they have just suddenly gradually become irrelevant though that's the question isn't it Nice. I'd like to think that they wouldn't just because yeah. they were always so experimental and pretty pretty business minded. I think they could have caught on. Yeah. I mean they they have caught on in the streaming world. Mm. But part of that is the legacy factor. So, yeah. I don't know. Obviously they were very productive as you say, but there were periods where their music was outside of fashionable, wasn't it? And frankly a bit average hot space well, i'm a big queen fan yeah no definitely. i hate hot space i'm yeah fat bottom girls i mean come on <laughs> you know i not feel like they were really trying that hard with that one that one is fun yeah. live though i'll give it that so yeah sometimes you forget the music is supposed to be live don't you and i think some songs that you listen to on an album seem average and then when you see it perform live it's totally different isn't it yeah Very much so 
Looking at music today, then, what artists right now that people maybe haven't really heard of or maybe just emerging do you think we'll be talking about in 20 years' time? I'd say I recently discovered Lilith Czar, C-Z-A-R. Well, she performed under another name, but this is like her new persona, created from Filth and Dust. And I'm obsessed with this album. It's very feminist very girl yeah. i don't want to say girl power because that sounds cheesy but very much like i'm here i'm here to stay don't tell me how to make my music i'm gonna do it my way anyway and it's such a good album her voice is super powerful but she's if you look at her she looks very you know not intimidating kind of witchy and then you hear her sing and you're like what <laughs> so i hope that she makes it really really big because i love her album i'll have to check that out that's cool Basic premise is you got three songs, one that reminds you of growing up, one that reminds you of a place that's dear to you, and one song that makes you happy. And then the third part of this section is a day that if you could relive, you would. And that doesn't necessarily need to be a positive thing as well. You sometimes people want to go back and change something. But yeah, over to you. That first song, that one that really makes you think of that transition from adolescence to adulthood. I would have to say Fearless by Taylor Swift. Okay. (laughs) That album came out in 2008, which is when I started dating my now husband. I was 14. Uh, We're high school sweethearts. And that song specifically because the album was re-recorded this year and re-released. And listening to that album, I was like immediately transported back to listening to the CD on my Walkman my freshman year of high school so taylor swift what about that song then that reminds you of a particular place i'm gonna have to go with the song that is about my hometown lynchburg virginia here i'm home by jeff carl super like indie song no one that is listening to this has probably ever heard of it but it it came out my senior year of high school when everyone was kind of moving away and finding themselves and we were all going off to college and it talks about that exact experience. A lot of people made cheesy slideshows with graduation photos to this song because they were moving away. I stayed here, (laughs) but (laughs) a lot of my friends from college and stuff have come and gone and left and moved on. So, but Lynchburg's always home. So what do you feel when you hear that then, when that comes on the radio randomly, what does it do for you? I, I was listening to it while I was waiting to like log into this recording and it transported me right back to 2011 and all my friends moving away, meeting new friends. And I was thinking about my college friends that have a lot of, I'm in a college town. So a lot of people stay for five years after graduation and they're all starting to yeah. slowly move away. I plan on staying here forever. I'm a fifth generation resident of my hometown. <laughs> so I love it here. Lynchburg is home. So our podcast is about a place called Taunton, where we all grew up, but it's somewhere where we were desperate to escape from and managed to. So that's nice to hear somebody that's quite proud to stay where they are. Yeah, um, a lot of people you know. have ended up coming back for various reasons. Really? It is really cheap to live here, I will say, compared to similarly like sized towns. Yeah, I don't know if it'll stay that way because of the way the housing market is, but it's a good place to live. And that song that makes you happy every time it comes on, you just feel that wave of warmth. In Love with a Camera 
by the struts it's not even my favorite struts song but something about it every time it comes on shuffle i just like crank it up and roll my windows down if it's warm enough outside and it's it's one of those songs that needs to be played at full volume i think about all the times i've seen it live and the friends that i've made at these shows and it's just it's my hype up song i love it i have to listen to that Brilliant. And that last question, that one day you could if you could relive, you go back in time and just do that one day again. What is it? <laughs> I've been thinking about this all day and I have I have no good answer other than I guess if I could redo my wedding with the friends I have now. Yeah. I would redo that because it would be probably a lot more of a party. We had a very small wedding. I would still keep it a very small wedding. Like I loved everything about our wedding. I just wish I could have the people that I know now and the friends I have now be there at that wedding. That's a cool answer. That's a really cool answer because, you know, I got married quite young. I was like 23, 24. Yeah, I was 21. Um, Right, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely moved on. And whilst a lot of the same faces would be there, there'd also be some that are not there, some for good reasons, some for not so good reasons. But there's people who I'm very close to now and have been perhaps in a different phase of my life that, uh, yeah, I'd love to, to have that party again with a little bit cheesy, if I'm honest, Leah. You know, I was hoping you'd say the time I neck 15 tequilas in <laughs> Joy Road, a police car or no, something. No, I but, would you know. not like to relive the nights that I got the most drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's those hangovers that... Yeah, Puking the off of our game. beach house balcony when we oh, rented with our like group of friends. That was That was terrible. Never again. There's nothing dignified about that, is there? It's like nope. when you get that drunk and yeah, no, I, I, we've all been there. I always didn't believe people when they were like, it gets worse as you get older. And I'm like, they're just weak. And then recently <laughs> I'm, I'm 28 and I'm not, I'm not even that old, but it hits a lot harder than when you're 21. Oh, yeah. I reckon you, you had an extra day for every decade. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I reckon now I'm for, in my forties, I reckon, yeah, four days. And it's not worth um, it at that point. I don't have four days. I don't <laughs> have four days. You know, I have shit to do. I can't be sitting around feeling like that. doesn't stop me from doing it, unfortunately. Yeah. We never it's, learn. Anyway. No, not at all. No. Anyway, Leah, that was brilliant. Thank you for that. Really enjoyed the, the chat. And I think there's some good content in there that I can put into our show. So thank you. Here's a question for you. Are there any songs that make you so angry you have to turn them Yeah. Out? Do you remember, um, who was that fucking guy? Andy, Jesus. Um, <laughs> so here's why I thought of this song, right? Because in the Korean spa that I go to, they have a oh, Korean so version of the this Korean song. The Korean spa. The Korea, uh, Can we go back? You Listen, <laughs> one of the most important parts of my life is going to Korean spa. I do it every Monday night. And it holds my life together. With a Topo Chico? I do get a Topo Chico in there if I want to. (laughs) They have a great Korean restaurant in there. But the point I'm trying to make is that they also, on the rooftop where I can sit and relax, they have this piped K-pop music. And one of the songs that I heard is the Korean K-pop version of this song. I forget the the guy who sings it, but you're all going to know. The song's called You're Beautiful. Oh, no, James Blunt. Uh, no, they came out after oh, no. you at school. Yeah. Korean pop music is yeah. one of the biggest pop music markets in the world. K-pop is one of their biggest exports, you know? 
That sounds horrific. How about you, Johnny? What, what's the song that you just physically can't listen to without wanting to stab someone? Oh, I'm just going to leverage Matt's point here and say that when you hear a really poor imitation of a song that you love, like sometimes you might go on YouTube and play a song mm. and you think it's the original official version and it's you know, some bloke in his room playing it and it's just like, oh, no, oh, yeah, I, I no. We don't need no education. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> teacher. Pedo, leave those kids alone. <laughs> <laughs> you behind the bike sheds. For for me, it's American Pie. Is a song. Oh yeah, it's I quite just... irritating, isn't it? Oh, honestly, it makes me angry. It makes me feel like I want to hurt somebody. And it goes on for so long. What is it about it that makes you angry? It's too long. It's whimsical. It's got an annoyingly catchy melody, which which gets in your head. It's the sort of song that people on karaoke night think they can sing and can't. I have to say, it, I chose it on a karaoke night once. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it was my downfall because 10 minutes later, I was still doing the chorus and I wanted to just go and sit there. <laughs> I didn't realise it went on for so long. In other words, Matt, can I just hijack you and say it's your equivalent of the song No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley? Because there's yeah, nothing more basically. obnoxious than watching some drunk, entitled white guy singing about cornmeal porridge in Trenchtown. <laughs> it's just like, you have never had cornmeal porridge and you don't know where Trenchtown is. And every fucking beach bar in the world plays No Woman, No Cry at least once. You can bet your bottom dollar that when somebody gets up on, in a pub and the, the arse end crew to sing American Pie, you know when they get to the chorus... They're going to have the mic in one hand, and with their other hand, they'll be saying things like, come on, all together now, to the five members of the audience who are drinking pints of mild at the bar, and the four pissed-up women with pink cowboy hats on. And they'll start doing this sort of annoying, waving, swaying thing whilst they mangle what's already a fairly average song. And then they, then they slow it down a bit. Oh, you know. oh, don't. I hate that yeah. song. They bring in the hand clap to accompany it, but nobody quite knows when the hand clap should stop. <laughs> it stops when i slap someone with right. it <laughs> exactly exactly and somebody gets a little bit out of tune because they've had too many red bulls do you know what i mean it's like oh god i, I just realized another thing that another genre of music that actually does make me genuinely feel angry not all of them but christmas songs that one by <laughs> like slade i think it's slade like it's oh. it, if you're stuck in a shop and that comes on around Christmas time and there's no escaping, it makes me angry. You've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace it. Oh my god! Can you imagine working in Home and Bargain in Taunton High Street and they just play the same five songs on loop all day every day for three solid months? I mean, you would. I would honestly. I reckon you could get off a mass murder charge if that was your line well, of defence. Just as well, none of you work in retail, isn't it? Exactly. You know, <laughs> if you stabbed everyone to death with a the kind of Christmas barbecue set or something. You probably oh, hold on. What month is it? Oh, hold on. It's August, so surely the Christmas songs are going to be starting to be played soon. Yeah, it's probably going to start <laughs> soon. Yeah, the Christmas countdown. I'm still alive, but I'm very badly injured. I think my legs might be broken. that's quite enough of that nonsense and that also takes us to the end of a special guest episode of straight from the hot tap thanks so much for listening episode 20's taunton shout out goes to peter wilson a taunton man who will trek 26 miles across the plains of the sahara in morocco in october 
to raise funds for the Alzheimer's Society. Peter was struck down by a mystery illness rendering him unable to walk in 2020, so this will be an amazing feat for him. To help Peter raise his £3,000 target, visit his Just Giving page. The link will appear in the show notes. This was straight from the hot towel.